This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. There's no other part of the economy that's built for success quite like the stock market. There are are too many really wealthy and powerful people who need the stock market to continue to do amazing, and that's probably the best place for all of us to get into as soon as possible. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're going to do two things. First, we are going to answer a question from the Marriage, Kids, and Money community about what to do with your money when you're dinks. That's dual income and no kids. Second, we are back with our mortgage-free segment. This month, we are joined by a fellow Thriving Families group member, Kestrel McCorkle from North Carolina. She has a unique mortgage-free story because her family is now the proud owners of 50 acres of land, free and clear. All right, let's jump into today's show. I received a question via voicemail from Scott, and here it is. Hey, Andy, this is Scott. I have a question specific to a two-income household during the pandemic. We both work from home, my husband and I, and you know we don't have any kids. We only have a little debt with our mortgage and a car payment and a student loan. We're meeting our savings goals, and you know we've been saving money because we're staying at home these days. And recently, we've come into some annual bonuses, some vested stocks, and RSUs. Wondering if we should use these new assets to either save it all for a rainy day during the pandemic, or use some of this money to pay off the student loan, or even just save some and. And put down towards the debt. Really looking for any advice you could offer my husband and I. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Scott, thank you so much for reaching out via voicemail. If you guys have a question like Scott, you can also leave me a message at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail, or you can touch base with me on any of the social platforms at Andy Hill MKM. Scott, this is a topic that is probably weighing on a lot of people's minds right now. If you got a stable job and a two-income household and the money's still coming in pretty well, even during these tough times, what should you do with it, right? So to help me answer Scott's question, I'm happy to be joined by the hosts of the Queer Money Podcast, David and John Ottenschneider. For those of you who've been longtime listeners, you may remember that we interviewed David and John in 2017, man, we're going way back, about how they paid off $51,000 of credit card debt using their now famous debt lasso method. You can find that episode at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 36. And I'm so glad to have this awesome couple back on the show today. Welcome to the show, David and John. Glad to be back. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, let's start right away and help Scott out. How should Scott prioritize what to do with the extra money coming in? We heard him. He's He's got a stable spot right now, and they've got money coming in. But yeah, it's some weird times right now. So what do you think? How should they prioritize? It's great that Scott and his husband are really kind of looking out longer term because we now have seen that the circumstances we're in right now with COVID go longer than many people had anticipated. And the 
economy is still not where many people would like it to be. And actually, we're starting to see companies, even though they're profitable and paying out dividends to their shareholders, are starting to lay folks off. So I think that the pandemic economy is running a lot slower than we would expect a normal recession. So there's still a lot of concern. And so I, I think that it's great that he's asking, where can we get kind of the most protection or security for the bucks that we have today? And that's really, I think it is a big concern for a lot of folks, especially folks who are feeling like they have a stable income especially for individuals who are in an LGBT relationship who may not feel like they have the most stable situation. We have always encouraged LGBT folks to look at having even more of an emergency savings than, say, traditional couples. Because up until June, LGBT individuals in 30 states could be fired for their LGBTQ status. And we know that discrimination didn't just go away. So if they're dealing with that, or they're looking longer term, we do believe that they should be looking at maybe more like six to nine months of emergency savings. We do believe that about three months of that should probably be in cash so that you have immediate access to it. But we do think that the balance of that, that the other three to six months that you have for emergency savings should be in something that really is has the potential to earn you a little bit more. Banks are not paying anything right now, so just a standard savings account is probably not the best place to put your emergency savings if you want to even try to keep up with inflation. So maybe something like a CD, a short-term CD, three to six months CD, or a CD ladder that rotates every three to six months, or a high-yield money market if that's available. It sounded like even like a portion of it, maybe would that be in a brokerage or is this all just separate, easily accessible money? So our standard recommendation for emergency savings accounts is to try to have those funds an arm's length away from you. So it's a little bit harder to access. So we always recommend opening it at an institution, a credit union or a brokerage firm, a bank that you don't already have a relationship with and then open an account that has very few features. You want, don't want to have check writing. You don't want to have debit card. You certainly don't want to have a credit card really, uh, tied to it. You kind of want to make it so hard to get to so that you double check yourself to make sure you're actually going to withdraw the funds for an actual emergency. And it's not just a slight uncomfortability or it's just not an urge to take advantage of a great TV sale. Let's say, for example, Scott and his husband are checking that box. They say, yeah, we got six to nine months right now, and they're going to take your advice. Maybe heed that advice and put it somewhere that's not super accessible. Where does paying off the student loans fall in with regard to his priorities right now? What do you think? Well, I think that's really contingent on what he's paying in interest rates right now. If your interest rates are maybe above three, three and a half percent, maybe try to expedite paying that off as quickly as possible. If it's below, you know, three percent, maybe it, you just continue to make the minimum monthly payments and you invest the residual in the stock market or in somewhere else that you can get a higher return. You kind of have to balance what you're going to be paying and what your opportunity car costs are elsewhere. So I don't think it's just a blanket recommendation to, to pay off your student loans fast. I know that's the trend right now, especially with the amount of student loan debt that's, that people have, but that's not standard advice for everybody. So look at what your interest rates are. And if you can get a better return in the stock market, even with a conservative portfolio, it might make more sense to just make your minimum monthly payments to your student loans and then put the rest into the stock market or, or somewhere else you can get a higher yield. 
Is this a time to, let's say Scott maybe has some higher interest student loans. Is this a time to refinance or is this not a good time to do that? Where do you guys fall on that? Well, I I think it really does kind of depend on his individual circumstances. If it's tied to some sort of repayment plan, income-based repayment plan, sounds like this may not be the case here. But if the, if there's in some sort of income-based repayment plan, it may not be great to refinance them. If the student loans are at a private institution, you're probably going to have more of an opportunity to refinance and get a lower rate. Not always the case, but it may be a good time unless... He is working in a field where he potentially could avail himself of the the 10-year time horizon to have those student loans forgiven. Forgiven. Thank you. I'm <laughs> searching for the words here. That's an important thing for folks, whether it's a low rate or not. If you're in a situation where you want to pay for those 10 years, please don't go through forbearance or go, don't stop paying on your loans because that time clock will start all over again. Okay, so let's say we've got the emergency fund set up and we're making enough payments on the student loans where we feel good with it, and we still have got some extra money during this weird time. So if I were to look to invest for the first time with extra money, you guys don't have to give investment advice. We're not doing that today. But where can I seek a good place to go and invest my money to start getting a good return? Yeah, we've been telling all of our listeners and readers that there's no other part of the economy that's built for success quite like the stock market. There are are too many really wealthy and powerful people who need the (laughs) stock market to continue to do amazing, and that's probably the best place for all of us to get into as soon as possible. So if you're not already investing, we would encourage you to, to start investing as soon as possible. And you can start with something simple like an asset allocation exchange traded fund, or if you're not optimizing or taking advantage of your company-sponsored retirement plan, that's another great place to get started with first and looking for a diversified portfolio of the mutual funds that are available to you. And there are resources both at the the custodian of your retirement plan as well as outside to get help to decide exactly how to to invest that money. In Scott's situation, sounds like he and his husband have the potential to be higher income earners. And if that's the case, investing in their 401ks in a traditional 401k could have a real benefit on their tax situation as well. And if they're not maxing out their 401k and taking advantage of the tax benefits as well as the employer match, that's probably the first place. That's where we typically encourage individuals to invest first because of all of the additional benefits. Of course, you want to watch out for fees and expenses that are associated with those accounts and picking the right kinds of funds. But there's, as John mentioned, there's lots of places you can get advice on that. I was listening to Scott's voicemail, and I, I think I understood that they've sort of avoided credit card debt. And I know you guys are really into helping people out with that specific situation. You know, not everybody maybe has been as fortunate as Scott and his husband right now. So where do you guys fall on using credit cards if they need to use them for emergencies during this weird time of COVID-19? Yeah, I think you would assume that the debt-free guys are averse to credit cards altogether, and we're not. (laughs) If the situation arises that you need to get access to money and you simply don't have enough emergency savings or any emergency savings at all, and there's no other resources for you to go to, we definitely would suggest, you know, go with a, a credit card to the extent that you need to. Make sure that you're 
whatever you put on that credit card is, like I said earlier, a true emergency and that you're very judicious with what you put on that credit card. You don't want to overextend yourself further than you can handle. There are some resources to help make that, that, that experience maybe a little bit amicable for you. There are zero interest rate credit cards on new purchases. So if this is going to be a one-time thing or a temporary thing for you, you might want to look at applying for one of those credit cards to reduce your long-term costs. Yeah. John and I believe that credit cards are like swimming in the deep end when it comes to your finances. And you would never tell somebody who knows how to swim, don't go swimming, right? Benefits and the enjoyment of swimming is great, right? So if you can swim in the deep end financially, there are a lot of perks and benefits that come from using credit cards wisely. John and I have traveled to Australia, New Zealand, to Europe, to South America, the, you know, the world over. A lot of that is because we use our credit cards wisely. I absolutely love that analogy. Oh my God. I'll credit you guys, of course, but I'm totally going to steal that. I love it. <laughs> I told you we should have trademarked it. <laughs> I don't know if you can do that. No, that is perfect. And it is such a good example too, because if you're just getting started out and you don't really know the basics of swimming or playing with money or you know handling finances in general, it can be dangerous. But over time, if you do have that you know savvy and understanding of how the game works, then take advantage of the perks. Oh, man, we've done some credit card churning in this house big time. But that's a a story for another day. Let's talk about some people who maybe have credit card debt right now and they want to get out. You guys have a method. I know this, the debt lasso method. Tell us what that is and how that can help people. It's a little different than the snowball or avalanche methods. Both those methods really focus on where you apply the money when you're paying your credit cards off. Whereas the debt lasso method is really kind of the whole picture when it comes to paying off your credit card debt. And the foundation of it is eliminating the interest rates that you're paying on your credit cards. And that we found when we were paying our credit card debt off was the biggest inhibitor to us making progress as fast as we possibly could. At the beginning, we were paying $10,000 a year in interest payments because we had high interest credit cards and we had $51,000 on our credit cards, right? So what we've done is we have a five-step process that we encourage folks to go through. The first one is to commit. And the commitment is committing that you're not going to add additional balance to your credit cards, as well as committing to paying a specific amount every single month that is more than your minimum payments so that you can make progress. When you commit to that specific amount, you know every month that money is out of your budget. You don't have to think about it, right? And then if you have any additional money, you can always put more towards that. The second step is to use that agreed upon amount that you made with yourself to pay off whatever credit cards you can, similar to the snowball method, in the first month or two. So you get some quick wins and it kind of shows you some, it gives you some excitement to continue to, to progress further. The third step is the lasso, which is the crux at getting rid of that interest rate or eliminating as much as you possibly can. For a lot of folks, that means that they can do either a personal loan to pay off their credit cards to a much lower rate. Although we have seen folks who do this sometimes get trapped into 
putting more back on their credit cards. The other option is balance transfers to credit cards that have 0% interest rates for a temporary time period. And that was the method that we used because those were readily available. I will say right now, there aren't a lot of those available during COVID, but we hope to see them starting to open back up soon. Yeah, there are a couple available. The fourth step is to automate your payments. So set up bill pay or whatever system that you have available to you through your bank or credit union to make sure those payments go towards your cards and you're paying all your other bills on time and in full on a reoccurring basis to help both make sure that you consistently pay off your credit card debt, but you're also making sure that you're not missing any payments on your other bills. Yeah. As also a part of that automate, you want to focus on paying off the highest interest rate first. While you have that low, those lower interest rates, they say, for example, a portion is on a balance transfer card, focus on the highest interest rate first. That's kind of the avalanche method kind of rolled into this. You're going to make the most progress when you're paying that down quickly. Then the fifth step is to monitor. As you either have more money or you pay off a card, you're going to have to adjust. You're going to have to make changes. The thing about monitoring and looking at it on a regular basis is it also gives you the excitement of seeing the progress that you're making. So that kind of is the, the the whole method in and of itself. And we provide all sorts of tools and assistance for folks to be able to do that. One of those is our debt lasso calculator. Excellent. Excellent. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for giving us the steps that you could take to use the debt lasso method. Yes, we've heard of the snowball, the avalanche, but everybody has different ways of handling money. So why not have more options? Because not everyone's situation is the same. So one question before we go, gentlemen, I know you are all about helping people in general to have a better financial life. Why do you think it's important specifically to help out folks in the LGBT community to build wealth, especially during this time that we're going through right now? Yeah, I think similar to other marginalized communities, by and large, our community has been left out of the personal finance discussion. You know, For example, when we first went to FinCon ourselves in 2015, there were about 900 people there. And of all the different kind of bloggers, the mommy bloggers, the Christian bloggers, the military bloggers, spouses, there wasn't a single platform talking to the LGBT community. And we realized that, well, you know, hey, we're a gay couple, maybe we should be doing that. Th- that was kind of disappointing to see that there wasn't a louder voice in our community at that time. What was exciting is that last year when we went to FinCon in D.C., there was an actual LGBTQ meetup with over like 40, 45 people who attended. So the discussion is starting to happen and more and more people are having that discussion, which is which is exciting. But disproportionately, LGBTQ people are paid less relative to the general population. We find it harder to progress through our careers and move up the ladder relative to the general population. Our expenses for healthcare typically are higher. We save less. And up until, like David said, in June, we could be denied housing, employment, and services in up to 30 states, depending on our, our, our LGBTQ status. So it just made life a little bit more challenging and I don't think up until recently our community was doing a whole lot to talk about how finance can actually help abate some of those concerns. I I think because of the struggle with rights and health issues that have kind of plagued the community all the way back into the time period when the HIV AIDS epidemic was was raging. You know, you're going back to the late 80s, early 90s. Our community has been very focused on things like health care, our, our individual rights, the ability to get married and take advantage of the financial benefits such as that. So it really hasn't been a focus for our community and it hasn't been a focus for media either. Media has constantly wanted to portray 
LGBT folks or especially gay men is living these fabulous lives. And a lot of that is funded on the fact that we aren't really taking care of our financial situations. There is data to prove that. And so that's why we believe it's time to turn a little bit of our attention away from living so fabulously and take care of the financial so the fabulousness can last for a long time. We want to help build a stronger queer community than we have today, and we think that in order to do that, we need more financially secure LGBTQ individuals. And that'll afford us as individuals and as a community more time and money to be able to put towards pushing for that equality that we have not yet achieved yet, but have been fighting for at least since Stonewall. I love that. Yeah. Building the wealth for the LGBTQ community, as well as the allies of the LGBTQ community, so we can all push for the change that we want to see in our country. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. If people want to learn more about the debt lasso method or listen to your great podcast, where should they go? Sure. So if you want to learn more about the debt lasso method, go to debtlasso.com. If you want to listen to the podcast, we're Queer Money on all the platforms that are available for social media. And then we're Debt Free Guys on all those same platforms as well as debtfreeguys.com. Excellent. Well, gentlemen, it's been too damn long since you've been here last time. So thank you so much for coming back. Three long years. And I hope to see you both in person real soon. I know COVID-19 is kind of crazy, but I look forward to hanging out soon. Thank you so much for being here. Nice. Thank you. you thank you. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsor. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 
2024. MarriageKidsAndMoney.com slash Tella. Let's jump back into the show. How would you like to own your home outright? What would it feel like to never make a mortgage payment ever again? On our mortgage-free segment today, we're going to interview Kestrel McCorkle from North Carolina. Kestrel and her husband, Evan, recently paid off the loan they had on their 50-acre property. We're going to find out why this was important to them and how they did it. Welcome to the show, Kestrel. Thanks for having me, Andy. Absolutely. Well, let's start off with that mortgage-free three. These are going to be some quick, rapid-fire questions and answers, just so people get an understanding of the situation and how you started it. So let's start off with, what was your starting mortgage principal balance? It was $100,000. $100,000. Okay. How long did it take for you to pay off? And I know there's more detail to come from this one. So probably just under three years. Just under three years. That's great. 100000 in just under three years. Okay. And what is the, I guess, the land value today? The land value today is around $220,000. That's awesome. So $220,000 owned outright. That's right. That's incredible. Okay. Let's talk about this story then. Why did you decide to buy this land in the first place? Well, it's about 50 acres and it's up in the rolling hills of Virginia. So it was just a beautiful place. And one of the reasons why we wanted to buy it is just for our family, a place that we could go, the kids could play. Part of the property is on the water. And so there's a lot of water fun activities to do in the summers. We've been going tubing down the James River. So mostly just to go up there, camp, spend time with family, do fun outdoors things. That's incredible. Tell us about your kids. How many kids do you have and their ages? Yeah, I have three kids. The oldest is Oren, and he's six. And then there's Angus, who's almost four. And then our youngest is 15 months old, actually. That's awesome. Okay, so some family fun on the land. Okay, so what was your motivation to clear away the loan, clear away the debt? Why did you guys get pumped about that? Yeah. So when we bought the property, land loans are a little bit different from mortgage loans. And because there was no primary residence or a building at all on the property, the interest rate was pretty high despite us having a good credit score. So it was close to 6%. And with other mortgage rates being like the interest rates being much lower than that, the 6% made me a little uncomfortable. And so we just really wanted to pay that off as fast as possible. And for peace of mind, and because it was a higher interest rate, because that's like kind of close to that level of, okay, could I make this in the market versus, was that part of your motivation thinking about investing and things like that as well? Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of times you think about the market average around 8%, but I thought this is a guaranteed 6% back. So that really played big into it. And then also just peace of mind, because I've worked for startup companies for what I do for my business. And I was just a little bit worried about the security of my job. And I thought I would really just not like to have this payment hanging over our heads anymore. Yeah. So that payment, when it was around, how much was that payment that you were making outside of the extra principal payments? It was about $820 each month. At the beginning, we were paying a little extra, like around 200 So in my head, I was like, that's $1,000 a month that I'm going to be paying for the next 11, 12 years. And I really didn't want to be paying that for that long. If you equate that to like a side hustle, like if you said, hey, if I'm going to make $1,000 extra a month, that sounds great. But if you could think of it in the opposite, like I eliminated the $1,000 need each month. And that's what you've done essentially, right? Right. Yeah. 
So you started to talk about the difference in the interest rate. Why is the interest rate higher for a land mortgage? Is it just because it's atypical? I, I guess I don't know much about that. Yeah. So I think typically with farms and people that do farming for a living, either part-time or full-time, they're doing these types of loans a lot. And which is why we went with uh, Virginia Farm Credit for our loan, because they do these types of land loans. It's just what they're called. So the interest rate is a little bit higher for these farm loans, typically just because there's no property there. And so it takes a longer time for the bank to like unload these properties and find the good buyer versus a home mortgage. It's a lot easier for them to resell the property if you default on the loan. Well, let's get into some of the details about how you guys paid it off. So talk to me about the steps that you took to pay it off early. Did you do things to increase your income? Did you decrease your expenses? How did you do, what did you say, $100,000 in about three years? How did you do that? Yeah, so we did a little bit of both. We decreased our expenses and Aldi opened up around the corner from our house. Perfect. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And so that actually saved us around $300 a month for food and the kids are getting bigger. So they're eating more. So the food budget had started to creep up anyways. So we were able to reduce that expense. And then I guess also, fortunately, unfortunately with COVID, we usually set aside about $5,000 a year to take family trips. And we didn't really do that this year. So that money, we just funneled towards paying off the mortgage as well. So a cut to the entertainment budget, cut to the food budget. And then probably the biggest thing that we did that was helpful was me getting a new position. And I got a really big pay bump with that. That's great. And then when you got that pay bump, it sounds like maybe you just lived the same way as you were before. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. We lived exactly the same way before and we just put all of that extra income. Um, towards paying off the land. That's incredible. Yeah, that superpower of not grabbing a hold of that lifestyle inflation can do wonders, right? Yes, definitely. I mean, it's always tempting because you're like, oh, I have so much more expendable income now. Maybe we should get that hot tub or... (laughs) But yeah, we just decided that we were focusing just on paying off the land and then anything else that we would want in the future, then we could take that money once the land was paid off and spend on some of those fun things when it was all done. That's cool. I bet you there's going to be a hot tub on that 50 acre land sometime soon. I bet. Maybe. (laughs) I was going to say, you probably got a lot of space for it. So you you can figure out where that little postage stamp is going to go on the gigantic canvas, right? Right, right. (laughs) Cool. Okay. Well, talk to us about your general income range during that time, because for somebody to pay off $100,000 in three years, that means you got to have $33,000 per year to be able to do that. So what's your general range? You don't have to give us an exact number, but general range would help people to understand. Yeah, I think during that time, because we had started paying off some of it when I had my old position. And so it wasn't for the entire time. So I'd say like our income for me and my husband combined at the beginning was about 170000 By the end, it was closer to two hundred. And that was before taxes. Also during this time, we did have a baby. (laughs) (laughs) And then we were paying a daycare bill for three kids, which in our area is about $3,000 a month. That is a lot of money. Yeah, that is a lot of money to fork over. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got big income, but also big expenses in your life. And with that, you have created some freedom for your life now with less payments. So how did you guys celebrate when the moment happened? Are you doing anything different now than you were before? You got a thousand dollars extra now, so you got to be doing something different with it. So we've been thinking about it, but we really wanted to plant some trees 
up at the farm. And so we are going to spend some money to buy an auger for our tractor so we can dig a bunch of holes. And then we're going to be planting a bunch of hazelnut trees out there. And so then eventually, in many years down the road, then we'll have a little bit extra side income from all these hazelnut trees, perhaps. How does that side hustle work? Tell me how that works. (laughs) Well, I have no idea. (laughs) Me and my husband, we like to tinker with a lot of different things. And it just sounded like something fun to do. And a whole lot of it is playing the waiting game. And it's something that we can use the property now, really just enjoy it for, for leisure, fun outdoor activities, but then also have these trees growing and maintaining them on the side. And then once they're ready to produce that crop, then... We're thinking maybe just starting with like the local farmer's market and maybe going from there. But I think with the number of trees we're planning on planting, the average amount of nuts we could expect would be maybe 1,500 pounds a year. Wow. So we're going to have to find something to do with those. Otherwise, we're going to be making a whole lot of Nutella or something. (laughs) I love it. I love this. This is great. You're growing trees and creating some money. These are literally money trees. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I love it. That's great. Very cool. Well, there's somebody listening right now and they say, you know what? I think it would be great to stand on 50 acres of land and say, this is all mine. What is one step somebody could take following this interview, either to pay off their land or just to pay off their home mortgage in general to get them to that spot? Yeah, I think one thing for us was reducing our expenses. So looking at everything carefully and thinking, do I really need this? Is this really important to me? Is the off-brand of, you know, Cinnamon Toast Crunch going to taste just as good? Probably. (laughs) And then another big thing for us was my job change for sure. And while that made me a little bit nervous to think about leaving a company that I enjoyed working at, and looking for something else, it ended up really being a good decision for our family. And so I'm glad I I took the leap and had a little bit of courage to do that because it was a little scary. That's true. Yeah. I mean, that is a big step, especially when you've got a larger family and you're thinking about them and taking that risk. It sounds like it worked out for you guys. So congratulations on your job change and your ability to hold on to where you were with regard to your lifestyle and eliminate that mortgage super fast. So you mentioned that it took you three years, but in the last year, it sounds like you guys made a lot of progress. Is that right? That's right. So I think just in the last year, we paid off or last 13 months, that's when we paid off a majority of the balance. I think it was $89,000 was what we paid off just in the last 13 months. So, So, I mean, that's you guys living on maybe half of your income. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say less than half because we, we try to put max out our 401ks and then put all the money we can to max out the Roth IRAs. So we are still saving everything we could for retirement and living on a little bit outside of that. So yeah, we were able to put it down really fast. So we're pretty excited that it's done. That's incredible. Congratulations to both you and your husband for increasing your income to get to a place where you feel we're really going to be able to hit some of our financial goals, but then also kudos to having that structure to be able to max out your retirement and get your land free and clear. So congratulations. This is a great story, Kestrel. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. If people have follow-up questions for you, can they chat with you in our Thriving Families Facebook community? 
Yes. Yeah. I'm a part of the community. So be happy to do that. Excellent. Well, excellent. Well, I'll post this in there. And then if people have any questions for you, Kestrel, as a follow-up, thank you so much for doing that. Cause I think that's going to inspire people to get where you are and have that free and clear land or free and clear home. So thank you again. I appreciate you being here. Thanks so much. Really enjoyed it. When you have extra money in your life, you can make some big moves that will help you create the life you've always wanted. For some folks like Kestrel and her husband, Evan, that's creating a hazelnut side hustle, (laughs) which I absolutely love. And for others like Scott, it's ensuring your emergency fund is secure, that you are reducing your debt, and you're investing for the future. As a quick reminder, everybody, the show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I would appreciate if you could do me one quick favor and send over any question you have. I love answering them as we did today with Scott and John and David. That was a lot of fun. So all you got to do is go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail and leave me a message. Introduce yourself, ask your question, and try to do it in less than 90 seconds, and I will do my best to answer it on the show. And if you don't want to hear your voice, that's cool. I understand that. You can always shoot me a note on social at Andy Hill MKM. That's at Andy Hill MKM. That's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Leave me a note there. And remember, you can always go anonymous as well. So if you feel like some of the information is too personal and you don't want to have your name out there, that's totally cool. Just say anonymous from blah, blah, blah. Anonymous from New York. Anonymous from California. And leave it on a voicemail at marriagekidsmoney.com slash voicemail or on social. Just shoot me a note at Andy Hill MKM. KM. I hope to hear from you. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, my son Calvin is going to end the show with a quote today from Amelia Earhart. The most difficult thing is the decision to act. The rest is merely tenacity. You heard it right there, everybody. Make that choice to act and go for it. Happy DMs!